Uh, welcome to church. Welcome to the 11 o'clock service in SIBKL. You know, it's so good to see all your faces uh, uh, here in the sanctuary. You know, we're continuing our Nehemiah series. <clears throat> Thank you, worship team. Okay, they're gone. Um, we're continuing our Nehemiah series, and today I want to bring a, 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 a title of my sermon, When You Laugh and Cry at the Same Time. When You Laugh and Cry at the Same Time. It is, uh, uh, well, I'm quite excited about the word today because Nehemiah 8 is so rich, <clears throat> not in money, but it, uh, uh, it's like a pound cake, you know. It's so rich when you eat a slice, you're full. Uh, so I hope to bring you one slither of the Word of God today, and I hope it excites you as it has excited me preparing for this sermon. I'm going to read Nehemiah 8 to you, then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to talk about what I want to say today. Is that okay, church? Is that all right? Everybody at home, you're all right? I hear you. Okay, Nehemiah chapter 8. Let me read. And all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. It's very interesting, all right? So this is not, this is not America uh, when Nixon was in power, okay? Oh, okay, I'm, getting, I'm getting silence. Okay, that's all right. It, we'll, we'll walk past that one. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. That's the Torah for you, which, is the, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. So I believe that's all of us, right? We are all able to understand. So Ezra was reading. Uh, let's move on. He read aloud from daybreak till noon. Oh my goodness. He read aloud from daybreak till noon. Uh, that is six hours for all of you, just so you know. Uh, so for the 11 o'clock service, we will only end at 5 p.m., all right? Uh, I'm just kidding. Don't worry. We're in at 12. Uh, from daybreak to noon. So I don't know who to pity more, to feel more, to have uh, Ezra standing there for six hours reading to the people, or the people standing there for six hours listening to Ezra, right? We'll feel for the both of them. As he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood six priests. All right, their names in the Bible. Uh, I'm not going to read it today. And on his left were seven priests, okay? <clears throat> Ezra opened the book. And the moment Ezra opened the book, all the people could see him because he was standing above them as he opened it. And when he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord and greeted the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is so rich. I, I kind of wanted to focus here, but I, I went in a different direction. But just give me 30 seconds. Check this out. Ezra opened the book of the law of Moses, and the people automatically stood up. Now, standing up in, back in those days is a sign of honor and respect to God. So when they stood up in the presence of the reading of the word, they were honoring and respecting the Word of God. Then Ezra praised the great God, and everybody lifted their hands, and they responded. So they were not just silent. They, just, they didn't just listen passively. They listened actively, and they responded by saying, Amen, Amen. And every time the Word of God was read, read they say, Amen. They not only responded with their words, but they responded with their posture. 
their whole body. They bow down and worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. They may come one day in this church where the Word of God is read for six hours and everybody's going to respond, amen, we're going to worship and we're going to bow down. Is that day today? Every, some, some yes, some no. I, I got lunch appointment, guys. One day, one day, all right? Maybe next year, 40 days launch. Uh, who knows? Okay, I, I'm just kidding. I'm scaring everybody. The Levites, now 13 names altogether, it's in the Bible, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. So let me just quickly explain this part. There was 14 people on stage, including Ezra, all right? Then there was 13 priests in the crowd, and if you don't understand, you would raise your hands, and the priest would come to you, and it would explain uh, uh, the meaning to you. That is why Pastor Sam Kyung, Pastor Joel's in the crowd, Pastor Thanks in the crowd, don't understand what I'm saying? Raise your hand. Uh, they will come and talk to you. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to, the, said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So when they heard, they wept. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. That's, this is kind of the, 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 the portion of Scripture that I want to land on. Why do you think people were weeping and grieving and, and mourning? And then suddenly Nehemiah said, But wait, wait, hold on. This is a day of rejoicing. This is a holy day. You're not supposed to weep and mourn, but you're supposed to celebrate. That's interesting. Why do you think that is? Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month. What is that all about? And they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out, brought back branches, and built temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. Their joy was very great. Day after day, from the, last, from, the, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of the Lord. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Let me just pray, and then I'll start. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, your word is eternal. Your word is life. Your word is like living waters to our soul. Father God, we are thirsty this morning. 
We are hungry for your word this morning. We are all thirsty. We want to hear your word. Speak to us, God. Our hearts are malleable. Our hearts are soft. Our hearts are receptive to your word, Father God. Give us a rhema word this morning. And Father God, let us leave this service with shouts of joy that resounds in the gates of Jerusalem. Let us leave today, Father God, that the joy of the Lord will indeed be our strength. Speak to us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, okay, this, is a, this may be a confusing portion of Scripture if we, we don't quite understand the context of the, the feast and the celebration and why in the world, because Nehemiah never quite explained uh, uh, what celebration they're celebrating, right? So let me do the honors of explaining uh, on behalf of Nehemiah in the best way I can. So <clears throat> this is the city of Jerusalem restored by Nehemiah. Uh, all right, um, this is the best picture I could find. I thought it's uh, pretty great. Uh, so there you go. If you read uh, from chapter 1 to chapter 7, you will know that the tribes of Israelites were building different portions of the gates. So these are the portion of the gates uh, uh, they were built. There's a horse gate, there's a dung gate, there's a fountain gate. By the way, all these names are very practical, all right? So if you, if you see the word dung gate, you kind of know that's where they burn the rubbish. If you see the word fountain gate, you kind of know that, hey, most likely there is a fountain. Check it out. There's a pool of silkworm right there. There's a fountain gate, right? So we're going to focus right here on the lower east side of Jerusalem facing the Kidron Valley, all right? Um, there we go. Next slide. Okay, I've zoomed it in. Here we go. This is the water gate up here on the lower east side. Why do you think it's called the water gate? Now that you see the map, it's pretty clear to you, right? It's called the water gate because it's right next to the Gihon Springs, Right, so uh, uh, it's where the Israelites go to get water. It's where the waters were in ample supply. And if you can see the dotted lines, the Gihon Spring, there are two aqueducts running from the spring all the way into the pool of Siloam. All right, so if you can't go out of the gate to, 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 to access the spring, there is the pool of Siloam inside the gate, or there is the lower pool for you to access uh, 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 water, fresh water. Just in case you have no idea what is the pool of Siloam, it is where Jesus, remember, he, was, he approached the blind guy, and the blind guy says, I can never go into the pool. Nobody wants to bring me to the pool. Jesus, help me. Jesus says, go into the pool, and you shall see. That's the pool of, of, of Siloam. Can I, can I say another fun fact? All right, just, just give me 30 seconds for a history lesson, and then I'll move on to the Word of God. Uh, this is also where, during King Hezekiah's time, there is a secret underground tunnel. So if anybody were to invade the city, Hezekiah would escape through these tunnels all the way out to the Gihon Spring, and he would run away to the, uh, probably escape the invaders in the Kidron Valley. So if you go to Israel in this day and age, you will be able to see the secret tunnel, the underwater tunnel. I wanted to put up pictures, but I decided not to. So that's a little fun fact for you. So right now, just imagine the people of Israel was gathered here, right outside uh, uh, the water gate because there is a spring. Now, if you hear the word spring, you hear the word waters in the Bible, it always refers to the Word of God. That is why Nehemiah gathered everybody at the water gate, not at the dung gate, not at the fountain gate or the horse gate or the east or the west gate. He gathered everybody at the water gate because as he reads the word, you can almost hear in the background the spring of living waters, the spring of waters are flowing in the background and you will, be, you will feel refreshed and you will feel like, hey, in the Old, in the old Testament or even in the New, uh, waters represent the word of God that refreshes your soul. 
And that's why he gathered at the Watergate. It's really that simple. There's no other uh, reason besides that reason. That's the Watergate. Um, so today, I really want to talk about the three postures of carrying on. You know, we are almost coming out of the MCO. Well, I don't, I don't know if I can I rightly say we are almost coming out of the MCO. I don't know how long this will last. I don't know what's going to be announced at the end of the month. But at the end of the day, life is almost back to normal, whatever that means, all right? It's almost. And I know that there are a lot of people that in the last six months, seven months, you have gone through a very difficult time. I know I've prayed for a lot of people, and I know that people, it's either you've, going, you've gone through family problems, uh, or maybe you're spiritually dry in this season, uh, maybe you've been wayward from God, maybe you've forgotten Christ for the last seven months, maybe, uh, maybe you've lost your job, maybe you've got a pay cut, or maybe the moratorium is going to end in one month's time, and you're not too sure how to furnish your loan in a month's time. There's a lot of stress, there's a lot of anxiety going on in the world, not just in SIBKL. And I understand, and I want to ex- say, back in those days, the people of God were also going through a lot of stress. Just imagine, that they were called by God to leave Babylon, uh, right? That's the center of the world back then. That is the center of, of pleasure, the center of food, the center of security, the center of administration, the center of governance, the center of, the center of influence, right? If you want a good job, Babylon's the way to go. If you want to be a social media influencer, Babylon's the way to go, right? Uh, uh, and they were called to come out. Can you imagine in a five-month journey back to a desolate land called Jerusalem, can you imagine if right now, SIBKL, we were to call all of us to go in and move uproot from Kuala Lumpur, the center of Malaysia, to go and move to some kampong somewhere where there is no food, there is no land. We've got to build our own shelter, build our own house, and along the way, maybe some of us are falling sick, and we've got to care for our parents, we've got to care for our kids, then we've got to find work. Right in Babylon, work was great, I was paid so much, now I'm in the, uh, uh, in the rural areas, I've got no money, I've got to farm my own food. There is a lot of stress. But in that stress, Nehemiah said there is three postures to carry on because we're we're not stopping here. This is not the end of our lives. This is not the end of days. This is just a test for all of us. This is just a journey that each and every one has to go through. And Nehemiah points out three postures for carrying on. The first posture, then Nehemiah, then all the people came together as one in the square before the Watergate. This is, this is this, I think, the most important part of this uh, first uh, chapter 8. They told Ezra, the teacher. I just want you to know, Ezra and Nehemiah never gathered the people in church and say, we want to read the Word of God to you. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded, and read it to them. It is like everybody coming up to us, pastors, and say, pastors, will you open up the Bible to teach us the Word of God? You are hungry. And the first posture to moving on, it is not to give up. The first posture of moving on is not to stew in your discouragement. It is not to stew in your stress. It is not to stew in all the problems that is going on today. But the first posture to move on is you need to be hungry for the Word. We need to be hungry for Jesus because the worst thing that we can do when stress hits us is to run away from God. That is what the devil wants. I was just telling a group of people yesterday, when we're going through a lot of immense stress, this MCO, and there's a lot of addiction that is going on, there's a lot of quarrels, and there's a, a, this overwhelming pressure that's going on, the worst thing that we Christians can do is to run away from God. 
we feel so guilty in our addictions. We feel so ashamed that we are Christians, but we don't have joy. We feel so ashamed that we have stress that we run away from God. And that's where uh, we get lost. That's where we become a diaspora. But God is saying in the book of Nehemiah, come back to God. Hunger for the Word, because the only way we can overcome is with Jesus, not without Jesus. It may be difficult. It may take a lot more courage after six months of, uh, of being church at home, in, in our comfortable sofa, in our comfortable clothing, with food in front of us. Now it takes a lot more effort to prepare ourselves to come out of our homes, to dress us up, uh, to come into church, to go through all that, to sit in the chair that you're sitting. It takes a lot more effort, but I want to encourage all of you. It is worth it because we want to hunger for the Word of God. And if you are spiritually dry, wherever you are, if, you, if the last seven months has been a well that is empty for you, that you have been dry, and now you are discouraged, and now you have no idea what God's purpose is for you. You used to know. You used to be fired up. You used to say, I know my purpose. It is to come to God and to stand there as an usher and to help people take their seats. But now, after the MCO, I'm lost. What is my purpose? What is my plan? I want to encourage you, don't run away from God. Run towards God. Don't stew in your hunger, but be hungry for the Word of God. And to come back and open up our Bibles. You know, it's a it's perfect season that this portion falls in the middle. We are smack in the middle of our 40 days fast and pray. I'm hungry, just so you know. I'm very hungry. I can eat a horse. All right? I, I would plant myself at the horse gate uh, to eat a horse. Right? I would plant myself at a water gate to drink something. I'm hungry. But more important than our physical hunger, let's hunger for the Word of God. So I want to encourage all of us, let's, let's, let's take some time at night to, to attend some of the altars. I'm not asking you to do it every night. If you cannot, don't worry. Once a week, twice a week, attend something. It doesn't matter who is anchoring the altar. It only matters that the Word of God is preached. It is only matters that the Word of God is said. Amen, church? You hunger the Word of God. So if you're spiritually dry today, I'm trying to well up your hunger for God. I'm trying to make you hungry for the Word of God. And at the end of this sermon, I'm going to read the Word of God, and I'm trying to bolster your hunger for the Word of God. That's number one. We all need to be hungry for the Word of God. Don't give up now. Don't stop now. Be hungry. The second posture. You laugh, but now you cry first. It's interesting. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the teacher said, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Why? For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the Word of the law. Now this, is, now, this is like a, if, if, if we don't quite put ourselves in the context of the, of the Scripture, we can get a little bit lost. What do you mean by when we open up the book of the law and we're supposed to mourn, grief, and cry? Because if that's our posture, I may not want to be a Christian, right? I may not want to open up the book of God and mourn, grief, and cry. But here it is. The second posture God is asking us to have is to mourn, grief, and cry. Why? we got to remember that the Israelites spent 70 years in exile. So if you spend seven months without the Word of God, the Israelites spent 70 years without the Word of God. It means that one, two, two and a half generations have passed without the Word of God. And, and, and before we read Nehemiah and we criticize the people for marrying outside the faith, we judge them, 
remember this. Without the Word of God, it is so easy to go in another direction. It is so easy to go wayward. And is it your fault? Is it my fault? Is it the Israelites' fault? It is the fault of not knowing what the Word of God says in our lives. That's why we cry. When the Israelites read the Torah, they realized, my goodness, we have gone so far from the Lord. We have been so backslidden from the Lord. We have been so wayward from the Lord. I never realized until now. Do you know when I, uh, um, when the first time I read the Bible cover to cover, I don't know how many years, it was, it was quite some time ago. The first time I read the Bible cover to cover, maybe eight, nine years ago, it is the first time I sat there, true story, in my room, in the last room of my house, my current house, I sat there, finishing Revelations chapter 22, and I go to myself, if I didn't read everything, I wouldn't have been convicted of all the wrong things that I've been doing. But Jesus, why do you do this to me? I would have lived in my ignorance and I would have been happy in my ignorance, but now I know. The, the, the verse that has convicted me ever since is a verse found in James. Look it up. If you know that there is something good to do and you don't do it, that's sin. Just so you know. So in case people think that sin is when you break law 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all the way to 100, all the way to 1,000, and then you get convicted of your sin, uh, forget the 1,000 laws. Just remember one law. When God convicts you on something good to do and you don't do it, that's a sin. And that includes everything. Right? And I told God, God... I would have loved to live with my ignorance, but now I, I know, now I, I got to be convicted, now I mourn, grief, and cry. And this is not a, I know we're already mourning, grieving, and crying because we're under so much stress. But can I just encourage you? Let's read the Word of God, and we can see for ourselves that God, I've been wayward. God, I've forgotten you, but now here I am hungry for you because God is a gracious God, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. And He will always reach out His arms to bring you back home and says, my child, my child, Israel, Israel, you have been wayward for 70 years, but here is the gracious hand of God that I've brought you back into your land, given you a home, given you your own occupation jobs, given your family back to you so that you can come and worship me. And today, we have to be convicted of ourselves to come back to God and says, God, I'm coming home into the arms of the Father and I want to be hungry for you. I want to be convicted of my wrong ways. And the last posture, I want to laugh. Do you know that laughing, what it means in the Bible when you laugh? Do you know that sometimes when you pray, some people burst out laughing? I know, I do. Sometimes, sometimes when I pray, I burst out laughing. Do you know what laughing means in the Bible when you pray and laugh? It means victory over the enemy. Do you know that you can only... Read, read the Psalms. Whenever David have a victory over the enemy, what does he do? I laugh over my enemy because only a victor can laugh in a war. Only a victor laughs. If you are a victim, if you have lost the war, will you laugh? You could, only if you are the joker, right? But we're not jokers here, right? We're not, we're not a little insane. So, when we laugh, it means we have victory over our sins. We have victory over our 
fleshly ways. We have victory over our evil, and that is exactly why Nehemiah said, celebrate with great joy. Because Nehemiah 8 talks about the Feast of the Tabernacles, right? What is the Feast of the Tabernacles? The Feast of the Tabernacles is when back before the Israelites went into exile, the Israelites uh, would want to remember that they spent 40 years in the wilderness before the promised land. The Israelites want to remember that they were once slaves in Egypt before they entered the promised land. And then on the eighth day, the seventh day of the festival, because it only lasts eight days, Sunday to Sunday, on the seventh, the eighth day, they will have a great celebration, a great shout of joy because they remember that God has redeemed them. God brought them into the promised land. It may have taken them 400 years. It may have taken them 40 years. It may be taking them 70 years. But the point is not how long the suffering is. The point is that God always faithful to Israel, and He will bring you into the promised land, and that's why there is a great shout of joy. That's why there's a great celebration, because the Feast of the Tabernacles, it is not for us to stew in our sin. We are hungry for the Word. We're hungry to be convicted, but we're not to remain convicted of our sin and just remain there without repentance. We are supposed to be convicted of our sins, but we give a great shout of joy because God has redeemed us from our sins, and we remember that God will one day bring us into the promised land, and God will one day restore the years the locusts have eaten away from you. God will restore the seven months that is difficult for you, and God will give you great joy, and that is why Nehemiah ends the postures by saying this. Where's my verse? There you go. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food, sweet drinks. This day is holy to our God. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. What does that mean, the joy of the Lord? In this context, it means that I feel the weight of my sin. I push to the extreme, but then I also feel the redemption of Jesus Christ, and I cling on to that redemption, and that is my joy. As difficult as it is to live in a desolate land, the joy of the Lord is my strength. God is still with me. God is still for me. God is still encouraging me. God is still fighting for me. He has not abandoned me. He has not left me to the jackals. He has not left me to die of thirst in the desert land, but He is still making a way in the wilderness for me. He is still making streams in the desert land. He is still making rivers in the wasteland so that He can redeem my soul. And it is that that joy that gives us strength to carry on. Have you forgotten your joy in the Lord? How do I know I've forgotten my joy? When all we think about the whole week is our stress. We have forgotten our joy. And I'm not just talking about you. I'm also talking about me. When we can become so caught up in the, the, the pandemic that we have forgotten our joy. But today, it is not the day to forget our joy. Today is a day to remember that God is for me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get everybody to respond to the Word of God, and I want you to say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Everybody at home, I want you to declare it in your spirit because I want you to leave this sanctuary. I want you to leave this service. Know that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen? You're going to say it? You're going to say it with me? All right, you're going to shout it out with me. All right, so I'm going to say a sentence. You're going to say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. If you are discouraged in the Lord, if I have lost my job, if I have a salary pay cut, 
if I've been arguing with my wife for seven months, if I have two kids at home and I'm very stressed, if I live in fear of getting COVID-19, if I fear that my stock will plummet and I will go bankrupt, and I want to come back into the sanctuary because... Amen, church. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Let us not focus on what has God not done for us, but let us focus on what God has done for us. Do you know that I have to force myself to, to, to be encouraged in the Lord? During times when I'm so discouraged at home just by myself, I have to force myself to be encouraged. I have to say, I want to give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. Thank you, Jesus. I still have a wife. I still have two kids. Thank you, Jesus. I still have a home. Thank you, Jesus. I am still standing here today. Thank you, Jesus. I still have a job. Thank you, Jesus. I still have money on my plate. It is tough. It is tough. It is tough. But the joy of the Lord is my strength. And do you know that when Nehemiah preached that the joy of the Lord is it's our strength that day in the year 400 BCE. 400 years later, there was another man that stood in his place and he declared this in John 7. The Lord Jesus went to the Feast of the Tabernacles and at that feast, at the pool of Siloam, outside the water gates, outside the Gihon Springs, he said the reincarnation reincarnation, the incarnation of joy. He said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Jesus, the manifestation of joy says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow through them. Nehemiah is not just preaching to the then and now, it is prophetic to the future. And did you know that Jesus is not the only one that did a public reading? Nehemiah did it. Jesus did it. Then Paul said to Timothy, now continue to read scriptures in public and encourage the body. In the book of Timothy. And I want to say to you, everybody today, Jesus is your living water that flows through you. Some of us have been so dry. We've been so stagnated in our spirituality. But today, when we leave this sanctuary, we're gonna be joyful because streams of living waters will just pour out. We would then rediscover our joy of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that I can be in church. Thank you, Jesus, that I have a country that is not torn apart by riots. Thank you, Jesus, that I still have a job. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm struggling, but I have you. I'm gonna worship you in my mountains and in my valleys. I will praise you. Even if it hurts, I will praise you. Even if it brings me joy, I will still praise you. Do you know when did Jesus say this? When He said it on the eighth day, on the Feast of the Tabernacles, do you know what the Jewish leaders were doing? On the eighth day of the Feast of the Tabernacles, they would bring a bowl, they would go to the pool of Siloam, they would take out water, and they would have a ritual from the pool of Siloam all the way to the water gate. And at the water gate, there will be three trumpet blasts of the shofar that celebrates God's victory for Israel. Then they will bring that water into the temple and they would wash. And Jesus stood there watching this festival and says, I no longer need you to go to natural things to be fed in your spirit. I now give you my Holy Spirit so that you can have 
streams of living water. Wherever you are, whether you're in church, at home, whether in your bedroom, whether in your toilet, whether in your office, uh, workplace, or whether in the hospital right now, God is saying the Holy Spirit will be with you and I will refresh you and I would restore you and I would quench your thirst. When the, when the priests walked, they would recite six psalms, the Hallel Psalms, Psalms 113 to Psalms 118. And they would declare the psalms all along the way. And today, at the end of this service, I want us all to stand and I'm going to declare a portions of that psalm. And we're going to respond in amens. And we're going to respond in shouts of victory and shouts of joy. If you have fear within you, you are going to shout that fear away because God has not given you a spirit of fear, but God has given you a power, strength, and a sound mind. If you've got somebody who is sick at home and they're struggling in this time of COVID-19 to be sick, that's the worst time to be sick. If you know somebody is struggling, you're going to stand up and intercede in your faith and you're going to give them shouts of victory and shouts of joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength and the joy of the Lord will be that person's strength. They're not going to mope every day in the hospital, but they're going to be rejoicing. If you are hoping for a job, and I know that a lot of people are praying for salary reinstatement before the moratorium is up. I know a lot of people are praying for jobs and if that is you, I want you to not focus on the lack of money, but I want you to focus that God will one day restore you, but I'm going to enjoy my journey because it's not going to be a journey of discouragement, but it's going to be a journey of joy because when that day happens, I'm going to give a greater shout. I'm going to give a greater praise. Amen, church? So I'm going to read some psalms. Will you stand with me before we sing? that the, He is the Word at the beginning. So I'm going to read a few Psalms from Psalm 116, 117, and 118. And if that is you and you resonate with the Word of God, I want you to shout Amen at your own accord. Don't wait for someone else to shout Amen. Don't wait for someone else to lift up their hands in joy and praise. You lift up your hands in joy and praise and you claim that Scripture for your own. 116, I love the Lord for He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because He turned His ear to me. I will call on Him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. Is that you? The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, He saved me. Be at rest once more, O oh my soul. Be at rest, for the Lord has been good to you. Be at rest, O oh my soul, because the Lord has been good to you. <clears throat> I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He is my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die. I will live and I will proclaim what the Lord has done. Give thanks to the Lord for his love and yours forever. Give thanks to the Lord for His love and yours forever. Give thanks to the Lord for His love and yours forever. I will give thanks to the Lord for His love and yours forever. Oh, yes, oh God. If you're, if you're going through 
a period of spiritual dryness this season, there's no shame. I want you to raise your hands. Or you're at home. I want you to raise your hands to God. He says, God, here I am. I've been dry, but I need your word. I need you to come into my life. I need streams of living water to flow within me, to, out, to be my outpouring. If you've been spiritually dry, just raise your hands to Jesus. Only Jesus will know, and only Jesus needs to know. Nobody else needs to know. It doesn't matter why you've been spiritually dry. It only matters that you are now hungry for God. It only matters now that you are going to cry because of your sins. It only matters now that you're going to laugh because there are shouts of joy and victory in your home. If you're sick, wherever you are, it's a very difficult time. I want you to raise your hands as well. And I want to pray for you. And if you're worried, in one month's time when the moratorium lifts and you need to repay whatever you need to repay and you are worried for your business, I want you to lift up your hands and we're going to cover you in prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God. You see every hand across this place lifted up. You see every hand in the homes lifted up. You see every hand, Lord Jesus. You see every heart lifted up. Father God, even if people are watching six months later, you see their hands lifted up, Father God. You are not a God who is restrained and constrained by time, but you are God outside of time. And we give thanks to you, Father God, because your love endures forever. Father God, we give thanks to you because the joy of our Lord is going to be our strength. We're going to leave this place with a smile on our face, happy, excited with what you're going to do for us, excited to get a word, a rhema word of God. In the name of Jesus, I speak healing over everybody whose name is hands are lifted up. I speak healing and I want to release that Jehovah Rapha healing over your lives right now, that you would feel the peace of God in your body and in your soul. Father Lord Jesus Christ, if we are just crying out because we have financial problems, Lord Jesus, you are Jehovah Jireh, Father God. You are going to be my provider. You are my provider. I trust in you. We believe in you. Every day we're going to claim and proclaim your name over our, our jobs, over our lives, Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, for those who are spiritually dry in this place. Oh God, we are an empty well. We're an empty well. But Father God, in the name of Jesus, today our cup is going to overflow. You're going to anoint our head with oil. And not just our head, it's going to flow to our shoulders. It's going to flow to our arms. It's going to flow to our torso. It's going to flow to our legs, all the way to the soles of our feet. We're going to overflow with joy. We're going to remember the time you save us. Thank you, Jesus. Help restore my life to you, Father God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm going to say, give thanks to the Lord, and you're going to end this prayer with, His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. One more time. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God is good. God is great. Shouts of victory.